do keep our churches uh, in western Alaska in prayer. The, uh, the tidal uh, flooding in some of those areas, maybe you've seen uh, the news reports and that sort of thing, it's 9 to 11 feet above high tide uh, line. And uh, <clears throat> so it's flooding a lot of the villages and uh, lots of loss there. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, how we can come uh, and partner and assist them in some way as they recover. You know, this is a terrible time just before freeze up out there on the Bering Coast and, and uh, just ask you to keep them in prayer as well. All right, Mark chapter 1 in verse uh, 35. Little glimpse into the life of Jesus here. Now, the last three Sundays have been talking about the seven dimensions of a spirit-filled disciple. And uh, we talked about uh, Scripture, the Bible, and how foundational that is to the life of a disciple. And, uh, and then we uh, moved on from there to the Holy Spirit, how we engage with the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. And he is the agent of Christ, Lord, that is with us every single day and giving us guidance, direction, and help um, each and every day. And then last Sunday we talked about mission, being on mission. Uh, this, the Spirit-filled disciple is every day is on mission, and uh, that is to help other people know Christ, to lead them to Christ. And then today we're talking about a, uh, a key element uh, that keeps us on mission, that keeps us engaged in the Word of God, and that's prayer. So let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. It seems like a, a simple statement, a simple observation uh, in just a moment of the life of Jesus, but, but we see this as a pattern, and especially as you read the Gospels, um, you see that prayer was an integral part of Jesus' life. Now, in the four Gospels, there, there are at least uh, 25, maybe probably more, uh, specific times that it is recorded that Jesus prayed. Now, I think he prayed a whole lot more than just that, but it was significant enough at key points that it was recorded and written down that, that Jesus took the time to pray. You know, he, he prayed alone, uh, as is our text this morning. Uh, he prayed uh, before he chose his disciples. It says he prayed all night before he chose his disciples. He prayed before miracles took place. Um, he prayed before his crucifixion. He even prayed during his crucifixion. So you can see prayer was just part of who Jesus was. And as disciples, um, we integrate prayer into our lives in a similar way. It has to be part of who we are. You know, it's easy to demonstrate that prayer was something that Jesus made a priority uh, in his life, and it should be a priority to those who want to be a disciple of Jesus. Think about this. We cannot imitate the life of Jesus without prayer. If we don't pray, we don't live the life of Jesus, uh, because that's what Jesus demonstrated with his life. Now, Jesus' own disciples took note of this. And uh, they asked him the specific question. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Lord, teach us to pray. And, you know, and then out of that came what we call the, the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven. You probably have memorized it at some point in your life. So 
the spirit-filled disciple, one of these dimensions, and, and, and as I've said, these are not dimensions that we just kind of check off the box and then move on. These are seven dimensions that we live simultaneously. Uh, they, you know, we, we live in the scriptures daily. Uh, we engage the Holy Spirit moment by moment. Uh, we're on mission, you know, 24-7. And prayer, we integrate as a pattern and part of our lives. And, and uh, you know, yet prayer is kind of one of those awkward subjects that probably most people never really feel adequate at. And there's a lot of guilt associated, well, you know, I know I should pray more. Uh, you know, ask yourself the question, <laughs> when is that never not true, right? Is this like, you know, if I pray an hour every day, I could still what? Pray more, right? And if I pray two hours every day, isn't it not true? I could still pray more, right? I just have to give up, you know, things like eating and sleeping and all that. But, you know, we could always pray more. When is that not true? Um, you know, and, and, and we, you know, feel a little awkward about this, you know, it's like, well, you know, I know I should pray more, you know, I just, I just run out of things, you know, to, to pray about, uh, you know, or I fall asleep when I pray, or, you know, and, and I think that prayer could be such a uh, not awkward thing to do, you know, uh, it's even depicted in popular movies, you know, as awkward, you know, family gathers around the table and, you know, the one person is asked to pray and they don't know what to say, so they recite the Pledge of Allegiance or something like that, you know, and, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, awkward, what do I say when I pray? Um, I don't think prayer needs to be that way. I think we kind of make it into that. But, you know, if we understand a little bit more about prayer, maybe take a few minutes here this morning, kind of create a theology of prayer and, and why it should be just a, a normal part of our lives and, and without guilt and without awkwardness, you know, prayer is just part of who we are um, to make it just seamless into our lives. Um, I, I think a theology of prayer probably begins with, you know, that we are a place, we, and I'm talking a personal us, are a place of God's presence, that God dwells with us. And, and how do we cultivate that? And how do we bring that about? And how do we participate in that? First um, Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and verses 19 and 20 has this to say. Paul's writing to the Corinthian believers. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Temple, interesting. What is another name for the temple? Well, in scripture, they use the word temple. Uh, it is the house of God, God's house. You know, all of those are uh, synonymous with, you know, this temple. So we are, if you, if you want to think of it, this, we are the house of God. And uh, what do you do in your house? Well, you dwell there. You live there. And if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are the, the house of God, then he should be able to live in us. And that's, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. So we'll go on here. So do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorified God in your body and in your spirit, 
which are God's. So all of us belongs to God. It is to be a, a holy place, a place of God's abode, a place of God's dwelling. Jesus also understood this. Uh, John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, and, and this is a debate he was having with the religious leaders, but it points to his understanding here. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, okay? Now, the confusion uh, with the religious leaders of the day is that he thought he would, Jesus was referring to this, you know, massive building, you know, made of stone and, and uh, was, you know, erected uh, as a holy place, a house of God, and it's not what Jesus was referring to. Uh, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, this is a prophetic utterance of Jesus, talking about destroy this temple, my body, the house of God, and in three days I will be resurrected, is, is what he's prophesying and speaking to. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? And here's the parenthetical uh, comment here. It says, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. So Jesus recognized that, that his body, too, like us, is a temple, a dwelling place of God. Now, the, the temple is God's, if you will, house on earth. And many times, uh, you know, I was reading Second Chronicles, and uh, the temple is called this house. And what did Jesus say about his house? Matthew 21, 13. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, what house was Jesus referring to? Well, of course, he's clearing out the money changers. You know the context of this passage here. He's clearing out the money changers out of the, out of the courtyard uh, of, the, of the temple. But I think Jesus is really talking about more than what's going on in the, in the courtyard. The selling of animals and sacrifices and the exchange of money and all of that. Of course, that, that uh, disgusted Jesus and he cleared it out and uh, shooed everybody out of the courtyard that was making merchandise of those who were coming to worship. But I think what he says, as we demonstrated here, is that our house, his house, our bodies, the temple, should be called a house of prayer. This body should be a house of prayer. It is a place to hold the presence of God. We are to be living, breathing houses of prayer. And, uh, and I want to maybe just share a couple of ideas here concerning prayer. I want it to be less awkward. I, I don't want you to feel like, you know, if you're ever asked to pray that, man, you got to make it sound a certain way. Um, you know, one thing I've enjoyed in later years of my life is that we've kind of dropped a lot of church sort of language uh, that sounds King James-ish. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, in our prayers, you know, uh, we'll use a lot of these and thous and, you know, things that are not part of our vernacular. And I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that, except it becomes a little intimidating uh, to those who are uninitiated in the life of prayer. And, and one of the things that I think is really important for us to understand is we don't have to make prayer sound a certain way, Okay that you know, we don't have to kind of adopt an antiquated form of English in order for us to pray 
at an adequate level. Uh, that, that has nothing to do with that. Um, we are to be that living, breathing house of prayer. And uh, I, I want us to feel adequate that we can pray as God intended to us. Now, one of the things I, I want to show you how natural prayer can be. Um, how many are uh, familiar with worry? Okay, W-R-R-Y, worry. How many know how to worry? Anybody know how to worry? You know, my wife is an expert at worry. <laughs> uh, you know, some of us might even qualify ourselves as worry warts, right? Um, you know, worry, it just comes, it just is. We, we don't have to, you know, notice we never feel awkward about worry, we just do it, right? And, uh, you know, we can verbalize it, we can internalize it, you know, it can make our blood pressure go up, you know, all of those things. It just comes, it just is. And uh, we can worry, 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 worry all day long. You know, uh, the, the futility of worry, though, is they, they tell us, you know, over 95% of the things we worry about never happen, never come to pass. It's that 5% we're worried about, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I want you to think of it this way. There's a very fine line between worry and prayer. It's just a real fine line. Now, if you can worry, you are more than qualified to pray. Right? Worry is just that. It is, I, I, I want to kind of define worry as this. Worry is feeling anxious without inviting God into your problem. It's just handling it on your own. Oh, what's going to happen, you know, if I don't do this, or I'm not here at that time, or I can't be in two places at one time, or, you know, they said this, and what do they mean by that? You know, worry, 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 worry. We, can, we can worry all day long. And as long as we just keep it to ourselves, we don't invite God into the worry, it just remains that, just kind of really a waste of time, at least 95% of the time, who knows? When we feel anxious, that is when we invite God into our circumstance. Take the thing that you're worried about and invite God in. And guess what? It becomes prayer. <laughs> How many you know uh, sometimes when you get down to the business of praying, uh, unfortunately, sometimes you fall asleep. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Ever done that? But what keeps you awake all night? Worry, right? Nobody stays awake all night praying. <laughs> if you want to go to sleep, start praying. <laughs> yeah, just invite God into this situation. You know, if you are an expert at worry, you can easily become a mighty prayer warrior. Think about that. You know, if you're a class A worry wart, you can be a prayer warrior just by inviting God into your situation, the things that you are worried about. Just bring God into the mix. Now here's something I think that will help take a load off your mind. When, when you bring God into your worry, it is not your responsibility to tell God how to solve the problem or situation, okay? That's not your responsibility. There's a whole lot of things, misconceptions I think about prayer. And I think that we even practice, even in church, because it, it seems so natural to us to, to do it this way. But, but 
hear me out here, is that it's not a responsibility to tell God how to solve the problem or situation. Trust me, trust me. He will figure it out. He has experience, okay? How old is God? Well, he has been from eternity and will be until eternity. Guess what? He's seen a thing or two. (laughs) God is sovereign. He is powerful. He is all-knowing. And as well-intentioned as some of our attempts are to inform him about the problems that we're facing, he knows. He knows. And guess what? He even knows how to solve the problem. He knows that. You aren't the first person to ever have that problem, and he has solved it before, and he remembers. He doesn't forget. He remembers, and he knows how to solve the problem that that we are facing. In fact, here's, here's some misinformation about prayer. Prayer is not to inform God about our problems as if he didn't know. Like, God, I'm facing financial difficulty. God says, I know. I know. I've been waiting for you to talk to me about it. See, you spend a lot of time worrying about it, but invite me in. Invite me into the situation. So we don't have to inform God about our problem. He already already knows. He's omniscient. Uh, Prayer is not to instruct God how to answer our prayers. He has experience. He knows what to do. Prayer is not to get God to act or convince him he should be doing something about our problem. Like, you know, God, could you just like, you know, get up and do something about this? Okay? We don't, we don't have to go there. We don't have to inform him. We don't have to tell him how to fix it. And we don't have to, you know, pray to get him to act. So what is the point of prayer? If we don't do those things, why should we pray? If God already knows, why should I pray? Well, we're kind of looking through the telescope backwards. And this is why we should pray. Um, you know, I've heard the question, well, you know, why should we bother to pray if God knows and, you know, he doesn't need my help in fixing the thing or, or whatever, then, then why, do, why do we even pray? Well, here's, here's the deal. Our, our whole orientation is, is backward. Our prayer is not to change God or to instruct him in any way. We don't need to pray that he would change his mind or his willingness. You know, God wants to help us. God wants to help us. But the principle and issue with prayer is to bring change to us, not God. Think about that. What? Me change? I kind of like the way I am. Well, guess what? The way you are got you in the situation you're in, right? Yeah, there's lots of room for change, and that's really what prayer is all about. It is to change our heart, change our mind, change our attitude, and bring our will into compliance with his will. A key part of the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, verse 39. Speaking of Jesus here, when he began to pray before his crucifixion, it says, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And that's the point of prayer. It's not our ideas, it's not our preference. Jesus is speaking out and very, uh, you know, he's, he's in flesh uh, like you and I are, and it would have been his preference not to have to suffer what he was about to suffer. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. I'd rather not. 
But that's not the important thing. That's not the important thing. The important thing is not what I think, but what you want to do. And that is the point of prayer. It's not about changing God, it's about changing us. Prayer primarily is to align our will with God's will. One of the attributes of God is that he is perfect, right? And he's perfect in all of his ways, in all of his attributes. He never has to shift his thinking or plans because of information that we give him. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm glad you brought that up. I hadn't thought of that. We add nothing to God. He is perfect in all of his being. But for our will to come into compliance with his will is the point of prayer. Prayer is about change, and change is us. Richard Foster, who wrote the Christian classic, Celebration of the Disciplines, uh, it's been out many years, decades, and one of the disciplines of the Christian life that he talks about in that book is prayer. Prayer is a discipline of the Christian life. And, and this is in the opening page of the chapter on prayer. He says, uh, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our life. Make note of that, okay? <laughs> Make note of that. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. Uh, such a powerful statement. To pray is to change. Prayer is a central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. Has a lot to say about the disciple and prayer. We just throw up our hands and we think, why pray? Nothing ever changes. Well, we don't need to worry about God. We need to worry about us. This is where the change takes place. So the closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. So turn your worries into prayer. If you can worry, you can pray. <laughs> and prayer is much more productive than worry. Second thought I want to share with you is you can take prayer everywhere. I, I don't know what conjures up in your mind pictures um, when we talk about prayer. Uh, you know, we often talk about the discipline of a place of prayer and, you know, being in a certain place and, you know, maybe even assuming a certain posture uh, when we pray. And certainly that's a wonderful thing. Uh, disciplined, ongoing, consistent prayer uh, is a uh, powerful practice that we can cultivate into our life. But it is not the only place to pray. Uh, do remember, you know, it's like it, church is not the only place to pray. If this is the house of God, this is a house of God, but this is the house of God. Remember we talked about that already? And, and what, it, what was Jesus' desire for his house? To be called a house of prayer. Now there's that, there's that awkward little um, mention about prayer in, uh, I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, Paul just kind of offhand as he's closing out the book of 1 Thessalonians. Little verse, uh, he just kind of throws out there, and uh, pray without ceasing. And then he goes on. Do you know how much trouble that little verse has caused us? 
and pray without ceasing. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, how am I going to do that? I'm going to go around all day and bump into stuff, you know, my eyes closed and praying all the time. What does Paul mean by praying without ceasing? I think that's one of the reasons why we feel like, you know, we're inadequate in prayer. You know, here Paul says, you know, pray without ceasing. And what in the world, how are we going to accomplish that? Um, I think, you know, the picture of that is in the actual temple. Uh, one of the features of the place of worship was the altar of incense. If you've read through the Old Testament, the tabernacle, there was an altar of incense, which uh, when the incense was lit uh, on fire, a smoke, a pleasant, beautiful uh, smoke and aroma would, would arise. And you can read, you know, uh, you know it, it was symbolic. It's a metaphor of the prayers of the saints. In fact, uh, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So it's giving us some, some insight into what this incense is all about, is that this smoke arising, the aroma that's filling the temple, uh, are the prayers of the saints. And now, when, when something was not actively burning on the altar of incense, it still lingered in the room. You come into the temple, and the aroma of the incense was still there. And, you know, I think that's, that's a metaphor for us. Of course, we have to, you know, go about our business every day, and there's times where we're not even thinking about prayer. How are we to pray without ceasing? Well, our prayers arises the smoke of the incense to the Lord. And that, when that incense, uh, as I said, was offered, it, it filled the holy place of the temple. You know, when we are in prayer, this is a picture of our lives. When we are in prayer, when we have prayed, we may not be actively praying, but, but if you will, the smoke of aroma of prayer goes with us. It fills the house. It fills the temple of God. And, you know, somebody who has been in the place of prayer and is in the place of prayer often, there is something unmistakable about them. Even their personality is touched by it. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says this, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. What is this fragrance? To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? As we develop the discipline of prayer, and, and you know, prayer is just talking to a friend. <laughs> and it's not these and thous and sounding just right or any of that. Prayer is just talking to a friend, and when we fill the house of God with prayer, the aroma lingers. <laughs> and to those who are being saved, it tells us we are the aroma of life. It says, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ to those who are being saved. That's powerful. When we stay on mission, 
when we engage the Holy Spirit, when we are engaged in the Word of God, the aroma around us is unmistakable. You've probably had the experience sometimes, just meeting a total stranger. Maybe, maybe you're on vacation or maybe you're in a restaurant and being served by a, a server, waitress, waiter, whatever. And you just had the unmistakable feeling, that person's got to be a Christian. <laughs> you don't know how to put your finger. You know what it is? It is the fragrance of Christ to those who are being saved. You recognize it. <laughs> Many times, many times, you have no doubt encountered someone that you share a like precious faith with. You can just tell. And we are to be that place where that aroma of Christ through prayer fills the house of prayer. And not only to God, but to the world around us. Prayer is a movable feast. It goes with us wherever we are. And however you talk to your friend. That way you can talk to God. He doesn't berate us for not using the king's English or whatever, but he is there to receive whatever we have and, and that we would invite him into our situation, into our problem, into our worries, and that he would change us to be more like him. Amen? Would you stand as we bow our heads in prayer? Hmm? This is on purpose prayer. This is a place of prayer. This is a moment of prayer. But we can turn any place, any moment into the place of prayer. Jesus says, disciples who are following after you, Lord, transform us into people of prayer. And Lord, the enemy would just love to intimidate us and make us feel like failures in this very key place of prayer. But Lord, I pray that we would push beyond that and that we would talk to you like we would talk to a friend. That we would understand that we don't have to instruct you or to get your attention or uh, inform you about our problem in the first place. You know, but you are standing and waiting to be invited to come in. And not that we have the answer for you, Lord, so that you can be successful. But Lord, you have the answer for us. And it involves changing our hearts, our minds, our thinking, our patterns, so that we can be successful. And so Lord, we pray today, change us. Help us to see beyond the kind of small thing we've made prayer, the inconsistency of it. And Lord, day by day, in the car, at work, at home, in the place of prayer, Lord, we offer ourselves to you. Lord, we pray that we would give you the latitude to speak to us, not, not your will, but mine, the Lord, be done. Help us to receive and accept that in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer, powerful. Think about this, all the pressure's off. You don't have to tell God how to do it. He knows, <laughs> he can handle it. This is we be open to what God needs to do in us, amen. Let this house be a house of prayer, amen. God bless you, have a great week. And uh, 
find time to pray, right? <laughs> God bless you.